This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And hello, everyone. We are live from the Holy Grail Banks. We're presented by Budweiser and UDF. I am Jim Day in the big chair tonight and... Believe it or not, this is the final hot stove of the decade. Wow. Final one of the decade. Wherever you're listening tonight, we appreciate it. We hope that you are having a wonderful holiday season. You had a Merry Christmas. You're having a happy Hanukkah, a happy Kwanzaa, whatever. However you celebrate the holidays, we hope you have done it in style and uh, with happiness. And we look forward to 2020. Joining us tonight, you know, if it's the final show of the decade we had to go big and i'm not sure we can get much bigger than mlb.com's mark sheldon the beat writer for the reds welcome back to the show thank you very much i think you could do a lot bigger and better but i'm glad to be here for the last show of the decade well it sounded good anyway it really did thanks for uh, promoting you got it with that in mind later on in this hour mark recently did a story listing his players of the decade for the reds and uh, lists always tend to either make people happy or really tick people off. Yeah. Which is good. At the end of the year, everyone comes up with their lists of this and that and this and that. And at the end of the decade, particularly, you can double that. So later on in the hour, we're going to do the players of the decade. But first, let's start. Uh, let's warm up the hot stove, shall we? Let's light this candle. Yeah. <laughs> very, that's very nice. Um, all the... the that was, that was an acid term. That was yes. Good. Yes. Right stuff. All right stuff, yeah. Um, the right stuff, excuse me. Um, you haven't been here since the Wade Miley signing. Had him on the air, I believe it was last week. Um, your thoughts on adding the veteran lefty Wade Miley? I just think it's a very good move in the sense that they didn't pay a lot of money. Mm-hmm. They don't have a huge commitment. They were looking to go to a five years and over $100 million for Zach Wheeler. And that didn't happen for whatever reason. They were able to, they were outbid by the Phillies. And with Miley, they get a guy for two years, $15 million with an option. And his best year of his career happened with Derek Johnson, the Reds pitching coach, right. when they were together in Milwaukee. And I just think that's a good fit. He doesn't have to carry this rotation. There's not a lot of pressure on him to be the big, you know, starting pitcher acquisition. He's got, you know, he's probably the fourth or fifth starter in this group. And I just think it makes the rotation that was already strong before we got here much, much stronger. And certainly has a winning pedigree. You mentioned Derek Johnson and the Brewers. They had a terrific season. Uh, He goes over to the Astros last year as part of that club that made it to the World Series. Um, September was a a bit rough. He wasn't on their their playoff roster. But as stories came out, he was uh, supposedly tipping his pitches in a major, major way. He did. and Which has become much more of a thing nowadays. Well, with the videos Video, yeah. and with the attention certain teams place on trying to get an edge, i.e. the Astros, but there's obviously... They would never and now do he was, anything to get an advantage. But he was an Astro, so they obviously couldn't do him in. But uh, 
But he had three starts in the September that did not even go past one inning. Yeah. And he was getting clobbered. And like you mentioned, tipping pitches was an issue. And if you throw 95 to 100, sometimes you can get away with that. Right. But when you're throwing that modest fastball yes. and they know what's coming, look out. You're in deep trouble. But yeah. he uh, owned up to that, and he feels like he's going to have a chance to, to, to rectify that. The Reds, you know, talking to Nick Crawl here last week, they, they recognize that he was tipping, and they feel like they could solve that issue, and he should be hitting the ground running uh, pretty well in 2020. Uh, so we'll see what happens. And they needed a lefty in the rotation. Yeah, they haven't That's had one. I mean, Alex Wood was there for seven starts, yeah. not really seven superlative starts, mm-hmm. and they were, they were hoping he'd be that guy. But right. uh, they have Wade Miley, and, and if he stays healthy, he can, he can be a very big part of that rotation. Plus, if you put him, uh, you got some guys that throw hard. You got Castillo, you got Bauer in there, um, Sonny Gray, not a fireballer no more for a curveball. But if you somehow throughout the season, we always see the rotation, the order change. If you can slot him in in between guys that throw really hard, it really throws off a team in a series. It can. And when he was in Milwaukee, Derek Johnson and him kind of honed the cutter that he didn't have yeah. in Baltimore, Boston, and anywhere else he'd been. And they feel like that, that could be something that, you know, that pitch here, he throws a lot of ground balls. I think here at Great American Ballpark, that'll be a, a plus for him. So, yes, having a left-hander somewhere in the mix, whether it's the second spot, third, fourth, or fifth, they will be able to find a spot for him to make him uh, a very big part of this rotation. So the Reds add Moustakis. They add Wade Miley, uh, seemingly not done, and MLB.com, and, and a lot of people have reported that the Reds are, have been one of the teams mentioned in the sweepstakes for Francisco Lindor, the shortstop from the Indians, who is arguably a top ten player in baseball, maybe even top five when you consider it's the shortstop position. Um, what would it take to get him and you have two years of service, and let's assume that they wouldn't be able to afford to re-sign him if he continues on like he's played in his career so far. Is it worth it for those two years? If they want to go World Series or bust in these next two years, 20 and 21, yes, if that's what their goal is. Yeah. Uh, if it's for the big picture and keeping the window of competition open longer, maybe not as much, because when you're parting with all your prospects, that window gets closed quickly. Uh, our own Jonathan Mayo had uh, did a mailbag for the minor league side today, and, and one of the things he had brought up was Tony Santion maybe being the prize of the of the return to Cleveland. Really? If that was Kim, the prize? Kim, that's what it looked like, according to him. Now that would surprise. That me. would that surprise would me surprise. as well, because you figure Jonathan India, Hunter Green, Nick Senzel, Nick Lodolo are the are the yeah. big prizes. But with Santion being close to major league ready, even though he had a bad year last year. He's still got a lot of upside of being a big, giant right-hander that has a lot of power stuff. Um, I would be surprised if they move Senzel or Lodolo. I could see India. Don't you think it would take that? I don't necessarily think it would take that. For a guy with only two years left, if you're going for a guy that's got a lot of years left, then you have to pony up. But keeping in mind that Nick Senzel or any of the other big players are going to be around much longer in Cleveland before they even come up for arbitration, let alone free agency – I don't think that that's something they can do necessarily. I wouldn't, let's put it this way, I would balk at that move. There's some other options they can go to to get offense, but Lindor would be so good for this team, not just because he can hit 
not just because he can field, but he's just got that charisma oh, yeah. that would bring One people in. One of the most in. charismatic players Absolutely. In the game. He would be an instant draw here at Great American Ballpark. An instant fan favorite, uh, like you said, not only what he does on the field, but off the field and just his persona. Uh, there's also been rumors that the Dodgers are in those sweepstakes, and they had mentioned their – his name has escaped me right now, but one of the top prospects in baseball is a shortstop. Jeter Downs, the former Red? No. Oh, because no, he's, no. he's in that he mix, too. He is in that, yeah, yes. he's in that mix, too. Um, that he would be coming back um, to Cleveland, and then Lindor obviously would play shortstop for the Dodgers, and then all of a sudden you have Seager of the yeah. Dodgers that could be available. Could the Reds I go that route? I could see that. That's been rumored about as well as a – not rumored, but more speculative that – Corey Seager would be a fit here. And oh, he'd be a fit in any, most well, any team. Certainly. Yeah. I would be a little surprised, though, if the Dodgers wanted to go from Seager to Lindor. Is it, is it worth that much of a, of a trade to get rid of all the prospects they'd have to get rid of to make that happen? Is it that much of an upgrade? I don't, I don't know if it is or not, to be honest with you. Maybe Lindor's not. pretty special. He's special, but He's, Corey, Corey Seager's no slouch. Oh, no doubt about it. No, I think if, if Corey Seager were, were to wear a Reds uniform next year, it would be game on. It would be... Book it. Tremendous. Yeah. A tremendous, tremendous thing. All right, we haven't even talked about the bullpen and the Reds, the only major league team that have never had a Japanese player on their roster. But could that could change. Could that come to an end? We'll talk about those rumors and more. We're with Mark Sheldon from MLB.com. We are live from the Holy Grail Banks, presented by Budweiser and UDF. The Reds Hot Stove League returns after this. The Reds Hot Stove League, back live from the Holy Grail Banks, presented by Budweiser and UDF. I am Jim Day, and tonight we are welcoming in once again. He's the beat writer for MLB.com. You can check his work on MLB.com, Reds.com. Mr. Mark Sheldon in the house to talk Reds Hot Stove League and offseason signings, etc. We talked about Wade Miley in the first segment, um, that signing and how it really solidifies the the rot- I mean, you look at the rotation on paper now. Yeah. I know paper is paper, and sometimes injuries come up, but uh, we're talking about perhaps top five in baseball. Oh, easily. Yeah. I mean, it was a good rotation when they had the first four guys yeah. before they even added Miley, and they were thinking Tyler Malley was going to be the guy. But I'll tell you, the guy you don't want to sleep on as far as depth goes, he won't be in the starting five to, to open the season, but Nick Lodolo – yeah, he could be here right quick. I agree with you. He's uh, the Reds have not been in their history putting guys on the fast track necessarily outside of Mike Leak, uh, right. someone like that. But as far as pitchers go, or really position players, they haven't been put players on the fast track much. No. Uh, but I think he's going to be on that fast track. Well, they kind of obviously they're completely different pitchers besides being right-handed and left-handed, but the, the makeup is considered very similar. They felt like Leak was ready even though he never played a minor yeah. league game in his life, that he could do it. Lodolo's had eight games. He hasn't walked a guy yet in his minor league career, and they just kind of feel like he has the, the je ne sais quoi, so to speak, to... The what? The French thing, you know, the je ne sais quoi. <laughs> yeah, I broke out some French on Stop you. Stop speaking down to us. I mean, we're just commoners on the hot stove league But they, they the feel like he's got some stuff that he could handle himself up here and has the control and, and maybe wouldn't get rattled in the major league setting. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with you. That is one guy uh, that you need to keep your eye on. Um, and if the Reds are going to go out and get in the Lindor sweepstakes, I would think one of the top guys on their list to, in a return besides Sinzel is they're going to ask about Nick Lodolo. Sure. There's no question about it. 
Um, we talked a little bit in the first segment about the Reds. For whatever reason, they're the only major league team that has not had a Japanese player on their big league roster. Uh, that could change. If you believe the stories that are coming out of Japan, um, right now a lot of the stories are saying the Reds are the front runner to sign Shogo Akiyama, yeah. who's a 31-year-old Japanese outfielder. Um, outstanding over there in Japan. He will turn 32 in April. April. So that will change uh, as far as the deal he might get or the money that he might get. But um, what do you know about this guy? I've heard some good things. Number one, uh, he was in San Diego during the winter meetings, right. and they had him up in the suite. Uh, they didn't confirm that, but they, that was believed. You know, He was making the rounds to the interested clubs, and he met with three or four clubs, and I believe the Reds were one of them. Mm -hmm. He is a guy that's the center fielder there, but – a lot of people believe he might be a corner outfielder here. Right. He's a one of those guys he can hit for average. He's got a good on-base percentage. He's a 300 lifetime hitter in Cebu with a, like a 375 on-base percentage. But he also can hit some home runs. It's not crazy power like. Uh, you don't need crazy power in this ballpark across don't the street. Crazy, no, you do not. He but he could hit like 20 to 25 home runs at least in Japan, and I would imagine that he could do that here relatively simply so i think it could be a good move and it won't cost crazy money because unlike the showy otanis of the world or the even way back to the ichiros he doesn't get you know they don't have to pay the posting fee which is a right. huge amount of money huge. and they don't have to give him a huge contract because he's 32 so you're looking at a relatively reasonable contract you don't have to pony up the 80 million dollars that maybe right. you would have to pony up for uh nicholas castellanos or uh, Marcelo Zuna. So well, I think it could really yeah. fit here. If you believe the reports out there, the deal could be somewhere in two years, less than $10 million. If you go three years, yeah, talking about 320 or 315, it, it's, yeah. it's definitely in the Reds' ability to sign yeah. that guy, and it, it wouldn't kill the organization should he be a flop. Now, the one thing that's always a question about the Japanese players, obviously, is Japanese baseball, while it's, very, it's quality, obviously, not on par with the major leagues. Does right. his game translate to the major leagues? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But one thing that seems to hold true is the guys that have a high on-base percentage playing in Japan, that usually translates over to the major leagues. And if you look at the Reds roster right now, they've got guys that can hit home runs with Suarez and Moustakas now. If Aquino comes back and can still, uh, I'm not going to say he's going to play up the part of what he did in August, but That's if he's hard, something yeah. like that. Um, you've got guys in that lineup that can hit for power. You need guys to get on base. He would yeah. fit the mold. He would. It, it kind of reminds me a little bit of when Chu was here. Um, Chu had like a ridiculous on-base percentage when he came up. With him and Joey Votto combined, they were like 435, I think. Yeah. And those two got on base, and Brandon Phillips and Jay Bruce got over 100 RBIs. And you right. can see if Joey Votto could find himself again, and you have Akiyama with a nice on-base percentage, that could be the combination that would give the Reds ability to drive in more runs. Uh, we'll see if that's the, that's the case. There's been, for every Shohei Otani and Ichiro Suzuki, there's a Fukudomi or other guys that did not make it here. But having an eye for pitches and, and having an eye for the strike zone does bode well for, for Akiyama. Well, if, even if they would sign Akiyama, would that take them out of still going after a guy like Castellanos or Ozuna, or would it, they still be searching? I'd be surprised if they went 
that road just I don't know how much more money they have in the coffers to spend they still haven't upgraded the bullpen yet either so there's right. there's some areas where they still need to work on I would think that would be the end of the line if they got Akiyama but I don't rule anything out with these guys these guys have been willing to spend money and they're very aggressive they really have an eye on the prize for for 2020 so I, I don't want to rule out Ozuna or Castellanos or even Corey Dickerson but I I would think that Akiyama would be the the guy for the outfield. That might be the end of the line. Quickly about the bullpen, you I mean you got Iglesias there, you got Lorenzen, you got Garrett. You hope that he um, finds more consistency. They could use another left-hander for sure, at least one in the bullpen. You got Stevenson, guys like Kuno who came on, Sims. You've added Jose De Leon from Tampa Bay. You hope that he can return to form. Other guys will be in the mix. Justin Schaefer, T.J. Antone is another name to keep on. Uh, in mind, he's on the 40-man roster now, Mark Payton. But you think they need to go out and sign one or two arms, free agent-wise? Absolutely. I think they need to go out and find the next 2018 version of David Hernandez and Jared Hughes. They have to yeah. find an older veteran guy that can not be greedy as far as appearances or uh, role and just have a guy that can be willing to do anything. And they need – Garrett is not – one lefty. I mean, there's some teams that have no lefties, one lefty. But you see the teams that are playoff contenders in the playoffs, they normally have two or three lefties. Yes, they need another lefty for sure. And I don't know who that lefty would be. I, might, I have to look at the list of who's available. But, but there's a lot of relievers out there. And those are usually the last guys that you, you bring in mm -hmm. after you've exhausted your free agent and uh, trade you know options throughout the winter and – Come late January, early February, you start honing in on those relievers to fill in your staff, and I could see the Reds getting a bargain on some of those guys. Although the Loogies, if they put this new rule in, the yeah. three batter minimum, the Loogie, lefty, only one guy, those guys are going to have trouble finding jobs because you're going to have to come into the game and face at least three batters, so yeah. that could change everything. The Zach Dukes of the world are endangered species. Yes, indeed. All right, it's the Reds Hot Stove League. We are live from the Holy Grail Banks, the final hot stove of the decade. And with that in mind, when we come back, we're going to get the players of the decade, according to Mark Sheldon. And we're going to do that when we come back here on the Reds Radio Network. Welcome back to the Reds Hot Stove League. We're live from the Holy Grail Banks, presented by Budweiser and UDF. Hope you're having a great holiday season out there. We want to remind you the Reds season ticket plans now Started just 13 games. The new 13-game membership gives you great seats for all Saturday home games, plus guaranteed opening day and postseason ticket options. And with the flexibility of the season ticket exchange program, you can't make a Saturday? Well, you just trade it in for another game. For additional information, visit reds.com slash membership. I'm Jim Day. We're joined by Mark Sheldon from MLB.com, the final hot stove league, not only of the year, of the decade this is going in the hall of fame it is in the archives probably not but we're gonna give it a shot anyways and we're probably gonna raise some uh eyebrows a little bit because we're gonna do you did recently top 10 reds players of the decade yes and you can check this out on reds.com and we will preface it by saying that this is your list you didn't take input from fans or no. the experts around the league or with the Reds. This is your list. Well, I've actually been here for the entire decade. Yeah. I uh, got here covering the Reds in 06, so I feel like I've seen enough baseball, been around all the good and the bad players to kind of feel comfortable making this list. And I did 
do some research on it, of course. But well, I hope so. You're a kind I, of a writer. Yeah, but I did not crowd. Uh, what do they call that? Uh, not crowdfund, but I did not seek outside help. There you go. Thank right. you. I, I like this. It makes it more legitimate. Plus, yeah. it'll, it'll tick people off more because they can disagree with you and not me. Bring it. Here we go. We're going to start at number 10, and you have Zach Cozart at number 10. I do, and maybe an underrated player while he was here. Sure, he was injured a bunch and things like that, but that guy was, if you remember before he got here, there were so many different shorts up that came and went to partner with Brandon Phillips. And once Zach Cozart kind of came in, things started clicking in that middle yeah. infield. He's a very good defensive player. He got to everything. He also made some spectacular plays. He's not as good as like Jose Iglesias is now, but he was right up there, and he could hit. Uh, in his good all-star year where he got that donkey from Joey Votto, he hit 24 homers and hit 297. That's a pretty good year in general, and if not for that horrible knee injury he had yeah. in 15 where he slipped on the wet first base. I think he could have even been higher on this list. He could still be here if he hadn't gotten that injury, perhaps. He could be. He's been injured since. Now yeah. he's gone on to other places like Anaheim and got injured there. Now he's on to San Francisco. Right. You obviously want good things for him. He's a good clubhouse guy, too. I feel like, you know, he made that clubhouse better. Number nine, Matt <laughs> Latos. This guy did not make the clubhouse better. We got some laughs out there. Yeah. See, I knew. See, see I knew this list was going to bring a couple of now we smirks. Now Matt Latos was not known as a clubhouse kind of guy. Really, I didn't know he was not at a, all. as a he was not a glue guy. Got to have a glue guy. Got to have a glue guy. But he wasn't it. But what he did do was he could pitch. And when he was here, he had that power right-handed stuff. He could throw a 98 mile an hour fastball. And and during his years here. He was really good. If you remember, he was, in 2013 when they went to the uh, wild card game, he, he was their, one of their best pitchers. He went 14 and seven with a 3.16 ERA, and overall, you know, he was here three seasons and he had a 3.31 ERA. And I thought he was as really he he they gave up a lot for him to San Diego and three prospects and Edison Volquez, and I felt like he did deliver what they wanted from him. Well, 2012 was the year when they had. Outside of that doubleheader, they had five stars that went the whole year. Yeah, he, was he was a major of, part yeah. of that. And if the Reds were going to win a World Series in the decade, it was 2012. And unfortunately, we know what happened against the Giants. Number eight, Bronson Arroyo. Yeah, I like that one. You guys like that one? Yeah. So you go from laughter to applause. Yes. See, Bronson, he was here since 06, but... He, he was a guy that kind of just – he was the glue guy for the rotation. He was the guy you could always count on to make his start. He never missed a start because of injury. He was good for 200 innings every year. Yes, his ERA was high. He gave up a lot of home runs. But he was a, a guy that you could always count on to eat innings. And he did deliver. And his, in the year 2010, when they did go to the playoffs for the first time in 15 years, he won 17 games. And I just feel like that's – you know, he just kind of gave that rotation credibility. No doubt. Number seven – Aroldis Chapman. Well, what can you say about him? He was a sensation when he was here. Instant favorite. The guy could throw 105 miles an hour. He, as, a, as a setup guy, he was great when he first got here, and then he moved into the closer role, and it was just you knew the ninth inning was generally a lockdown situation. Every now and again, maybe once or twice a season, he'd have that like, two- or three-game stretch where he was hittable, but for the most part, he was lights out. Oh, he was he look at his strikeouts to strikeout ratio per nine innings, and you're not going to get any better than that. I mean, just looking at the way he performed, if he had been in a Reds uniform longer, he would be higher up on this list, I would assume. Definitely. Number six, Todd Frazier. 
Todd Frazier was a fan favorite, of course, but he just had that that ability to come in and, and in the big moments rise to the occasion. He hit a lot of home runs. Uh, you know, when he, in 2015, his final year, he hit the 35 homers, almost uh, 90 RBIs, and I thought that was a really good year. And, of course, no one can forget what he did in the home run derby here when he absolutely, probably the signature moment, if not the uh, Jay Bruce home run, the his yeah. moment winning the home run derby over Jock Peterson was probably one of the cooler things I've ever seen at this ballpark. It was actually, I was actually in the stands as a fan. I never get to do that anymore for that. So that was, uh, that was tremendous. All right, who's in the top five? Well, you have to stick around on the other oh. side. Who's number one? Yeah. Yeah, that's what you call a tease, ladies and gentlemen. Not in my first rodeo. <laughs> it's the Red Sox Stove League. We are back after this live from the Holy Grail Banks. You're listening to the Red Hot Stove League live from the Holy Grail Banks, presented by Budweiser and UDF. I'm Jim Day. Reds fans, you now have the opportunity to be a lasting part of this season's 150th anniversary celebration by securing a personalized brick. Each brick is inscribed with a personal message. You can purchase today at reds150bricks.com, and that is a cool campaign. We invite you to check that out. We're talking with Mark Sheldon of MLB.com, and he did a Top 10 Reds players list of the decade. And if you're just joining us, number 10 was Zach Cozart. Nine, Matt Latos. Eight, Bronson Arroyo. Seven, Aroldis Chapman. Six, Todd Frazier. And now the top five. And in at number five, Mark, a current Red, Eugenio Suarez. Yeah. We like that one too, I guess. Good. What can you say? I mean, 49 home runs. You're getting cheap applause. It, I know. I'll take it. should have reconsidered this. I like this. No, that's good. Uh, good. I mean, it, it said, he speaks for himself. He had 49 homers this season. He, he's been a, become an all-star third baseman. He started out as a guy that they, they if you remember, maybe the best trade of the, of, the, of the decade for the Reds was sending Alfredo oh, Simon. one of the best Reds trades of all time. Yeah, sending Alfredo Simon to Detroit to get – a, a little-known shortstop named Eugenio Suarez, and then he became a third baseman, and he's become a, the, the glue of this team. He's a clubhouse leader. He's the, the best power hitter they have, and he's also a very good third baseman. Uh, he does it all, and I feel like, he, you know, if there's another decade, if he continues to play this way, he could be on the team of the decade for the next decade. That's a good, very good point. Number four, Jay Bruce. Well, Jay Bruce automatically gets in this list for the, the great home run he hit on uh, September 28, 2010 that got the Reds into the playoffs, that walk-off against the Astros. But over his entire career, he was the best prospect in baseball when he came up as a 21-year-old uh, in 2008. And maybe he didn't realize all of his potential in Cincinnati, but he did get pretty far. He hit 30 home runs or more, three straight seasons. He, you know, he could play right field. Uh, he had that howitzer arm he got a lot of assists i think he had 66 assists during the decade and then of course he, he just you know was a good guy to have around and he just he could hit and now he was prone to huge slumps and that's maybe what undid him ultimately but he was still one of the best guys to come through here number three johnny cueto you know me johnny c johnny c Cueto, if, if Bronson Arroyo brought the credibility of the rotation, Johnny Cueto brought the sizzle. He yeah. was, just became a, the true ace. 213 starts, a 3.21 ERA. 
His best year was that 2012 season we talked about earlier. He's 19 to nine with a 2.78 ERA, and he's a con, you know he's a 20 game winner in 14. He often led the league in strikeouts. He got up to 243 innings. I mean, he's just the ultimate ace, and it's a shame they could not keep him here longer. Even though he is injured right now with the Giants, he he, he was one of the best pitchers to ever pitch for the Reds. No doubt. Number two, Brandon Phillips. Wow, that was a big, that was a big cheer. <laughs> yeah, another guy that kind of brought credibility to the team. He came in in a in a in a uh, kind of like a waiver claim, not a, not a waiver claim, but he was designated for assignment by Cleveland, and they the Reds sent a guy named Jeff Stevens to yeah to Cleveland to get Brandon Phillips. That Pretty goal, good. That also goes down as one of the great trades in Reds history. You know, yeah. kudos to Wayne Krivsky on that one. Yep, and. Uh, he was the guy. He, he just he had 103 homers while he was here. He had a big year in uh, 2011. He had 300 with 18 homers, and he had 103 RBIs behind Chu and Votto and Bruce in uh, 2013. And of course, the defense. Yeah. I mean, he was just probably the best fielding second baseman maybe ever, other than Joe Morgan, perhaps if you want to put him in the conversation. But he was about as good as it gets around here in second base. Let's see. I wonder who number one is. Who have we left off of this list? Or you have left off this list. Number one is Joey Votto. Pretty simple, right? It's pretty simple. I mean, he's an MVP in 2010. He almost Six won Six-time All-Star. Six-time All-Star. Almost won the thing in 2017 again. He was a gold glove winner one time. And this is despite the last two seasons being subpar for him. Being subpar, not to mention yeah. the injury-shortened season he had in 2012, and then he didn't have a very good 20, I think, 14. Right. But he, he's just he's a Hall of Famer in progress, possibly, if he can get his uh, numbers back up this coming season. Uh, it's just, it just stands to reason he's the best hitter around. He's going to be one of the all-time greats as far as arm-base percentage and drawing walks, and, and he can also hit. I mean, he's had some great games. He had the three-home run game on Mother's Day in 2012. He's just been that guy that's been around, and he's become, in a lot of ways, even though he's not the quintessential leader, he's just been a guy that leads by example. Joey Votto, the top player, according to Mark Sheldon, of the decade. Now, you've got... Some honorable mentions that you listed, and I guess these would uh, draw uh, maybe some questions from people. You've got Homer Bailey as a honorable mention, Ryan Hannigan, Luis Castillo, Shin Su Chu, and I guess people would say, okay, why is Bailey not uh, not on there? And Matt Latos is in the top ten. That would be the only one I would. Yeah, think that would I come mean, up. I'm not. You're not the first person to say that. I mean, Bailey had two no hitters. I know. I, that's kind of. I'm. I'm kind of giving him the uh, a low ball here a little bit, but. You got to remember, he had some rough, rough years. He had some injury shortened. Oh, I was here years. for him. Yeah, we were both here for him. Yeah. for him. I mean, he he essentially missed three, yeah, you know, three elbow surgeries, and yeah, that definitely hurt his numbers. And then when he came back in his final year, it was it was pretty rough. It's one of the all-time worst seasons that any player could have. And I just felt like even though he had the no hitters, even though he did have a couple 200-inning seasons, not quite a top 10 cat. There you go. That's Mark Sheldon. And where can they reach you? If they want to uh, debate this list, because we love debates. At unders- uh, M underscore Sheldon on Twitter. That's where everyone goes to complain. That's where Mark gets all his hate. I mean, all the love that he on social media. Bring it. And bring it, as he says. If we're going to bring you some more, we'll step aside for another break. More of the Reds Hot Stove League live from the Holy Grail Banks. And we're presented by Budweiser and UDF. Back after this. Welcome back to the Holy Grail Banks. It's the Red Hot Stove League presented by Budweiser and UDF. Sign your son or daughter up for the coolest club in all of Red's country. 
For only $30, your child can become a Reds Heads Kid Club member, and that is a very exclusive group and a terrific initiative. You get a backpack, a jersey, a Eugenio Suarez bobblehead, free Reds tickets, members-only experiences, and more. Purchase today at reds.com slash kids club. I'm Jim Day. We're talking with Mark Sheldon of MLB.com. He's the beat writer that follows the Reds on a daily basis. 365 days out of the year nowadays. It's the final Reds Hot Stove League of the decade. And we went through Mark's top 10 Reds players of the decade. You also did a list top 10 defensive plays of the decade, which I thought were cool. And you've got uh, at number 10, you've got a Cozart play. Uh, no surprise here. Billy Hamilton in at number nine on a play. Uh, Suarez had a big night. Jose Iglesias dazzled with his glove work. I mean, you could just go on a daily basis with him. Um, 2% chance of a catch. Yeah, that was the Billy Hamilton one on the warning track to Rob Cervelli, and he, right. he tipped his helmet yeah. uh, you know, around between first and second. And, and Billy Hamilton and Brandon Phillips pretty much dominate this time. I was just going to say, when you sat down, you're like, all right, what other plays can I put in there to match the plays that Billy Hamilton and Brandon Phillips put in over the years? Number five, you've got Phillips when he flipped it between the legs. Yeah, that was amazing. If you remember uh, Jason Bourgeois, a, a former Bourgeois. Red, but, but then with the Astros, he had a slow roller. 2011, right? Yeah, and Phillips found a way to – he fielded the ball barehanded and threw it between his legs to Joey Votto at first base to get the out. It was – it was unbelievable. Well, he practiced that stuff all the time. He That's did. amazing. Before the game, it was, I'd always stop and just watch him because he would sit there and practice between the legs, behind the back. Number four, Scott Shebler, leaping catch at the wall. Yeah. 2017. You may remember Stephen Vogt of the Brewers hit one to the corner. Shebler, who is not known for being a great defensive player. I mean, he's, he, he was competent, but he was not, like, superlative. But he went open over the wall and brought it back in. Robbed him of a home run for sure. And it would have been a three-run homer. And the Reds ended up winning 4-3. Uh, to three, So that was, a big, that was a big catch. Billy Hamilton, August 8, 2017, crashes into the wall. When didn't he do that? Yeah, this was a good one. I mean, uh, the, the Padres, uh, Carlos Asuaje hit the ball. It wasn't going to be out, but it was going to be an extra base hit. And somehow Hamilton went up on the wall and caught it with, really without looking. It was kind of like a no-look catch, almost Willie Mays style. It was, it was a remarkable play. And number two, Phillips, June 17, 2011, ranges up the middle and makes a big throw. By the way, log on to Reds.com. You can get this list. And what's cool about the stories is you've got the video to accompany these plays and the players list as well. Yeah, you can't see it on radio, I guess, huh? Well, we're trying our best here on the radio. <laughs> we'll paint a picture. But in this, this play that Phillips did for number two, not only did he rob J, J.P. Aaron Sebia with the, with the ground ball past second base up the middle, he somehow was able to get the ball and throw it with a bird flying in front of his face right. at the same time. And there's a, there's a still photo out there of the bird in front of Phillips, and it's really a cool photo if you can find it. Number one, Billy Hamilton, July 13, 2018, when he scaled the fence at Bush Stadium in St. Louis. Yeah, that was a crazy game, and I remember he goes up over the fence, and Amir Garrett just screaming from the mound, excited yeah. as that could be. That was a great, great catch. All right, again, check it out on Reds.com. Reds' top defensive plays of the decade, our final segment of the decade when we come back. It's the Reds' hot stove league live from the Holy Grail Banks.